Welcome to our weekly Wednesday night shear. <laughs> okay. Tonight, this week, of course, as you all know, is Tisha B'Av. Baruch Hashem, hopefully, isn't hate everybody survived and overcame the trials and tribulations of the nine days and of Tisha B'Av. This year, of course, is the Nishmas, Eliza Shlamis, Shalom. He should be a good to better for all of us. Um, this week's Pasha Vaschanan, very, very rich Pasha, of course. The mention of the Pasha of Shema, the Hafta, and also the Aseris Hadibris. Of course, the, uh, the many, many people clamoring for those Elias, that of Shema, and that of. Uh, I said it's a libus, ten commandments. Erev Shabbos, the Mara tells us, Misha Terach, Erev Shabbos, Yechel B'Shabbos, anyone that involves themselves, that troubles themselves properly for the preparations on Erev Shabbos, eats on Shabbos. There are many, many references made for way too about this whether it be talking about the actual coming of Mashiach and Tehrak Ba'erev Shabbos is the Tircha that we make before we embark on the Yom Shekul Shabbos and Menucha which is the Mesa Mashiach you have the actual practical expression if you work in cleaning up and cooking on Erev Shabbos obviously you have your food on Shabbos Um, but most importantly out of Shabbos is the, since Shabbos is the day that all the days are blessed from the day of Shabbos therefore Erev Shabbos is the hachana, the preparation of just such a day and needless to say of course that all the days being blessed includes the day of Erev Shabbos so since this year basically discusses the Pasha, basically discusses the time of the Pasha, and also the Pasha sometimes you have to discuss, sometimes also need to discuss the Haftada. And this week, interestingly, the Haftada is again like last week, a Haftada for which the Pasha is named, for which the Shabbos is named. It bears a very, very famous name in today's uh, Society, Shabbos Nachmu. It's always been famous, Shabbos Nachmu. Um, you're all welcome, of course, to check the archives. I'm not going to redo that story again. The story of Heshlas Tepolia with Shabbos Nachmu. Um, whether it's true or not, you know, after all, the stories of Heshlas Tepolia. But the uh, point is a very interesting one, a very cute one. But you're welcome to visit down on Shear.us, the archives. I don't know what year we told it, but it's been told, I'm sure, more than once, the story of Shabbos Nachmo. But this week, another significant milestone takes place, and that's Erev Shabbos, as we spoke, the relevance of Erev Shabbos. And this Erev Shabbos is the 15th day of the month of Av. Known, very, very famous for being called Tuba Av. Tuba Av, 15th day of Av. Chamishasa Av. We know, of course, also the famous, other f- famous Chamishasa, the Chamishasa B'Shvat. And they're definitely similar in, in relevance. But we'll answer, ultimately we're going to discuss in Yat Shemblinada also the virtues and the greatness of Tubav. 
Bashava Eschanan. We discussed many times Meshe Rabbeinu is now given the final verdict, the edict, the decree that he will not go into the Holy Land of Israel. Since he will not go into the Holy Land of Israel, although the decree was given down, and although it was almost etched in stone, for Meshe Rabbeinu it was very hard pill to swallow. And therefore, Moshe once again took to praying, once again took to davening, to ask from Hashem, to beseech from Hashem, Rachman, beseech from Hashem to have pity on him, and to ultimately allow him yet to go into the Holy Land of Eretz Yisrael at Saint Akedusha, Moshe was willing to make many sacrifices, including going into the Holy Land as a simple Jew. Don't make me the leader. I won't lead the nation. I won't take the nation in. I will just go in as a simple Jew like the rest of the Jewish nation. But please, don't deprive me of entering the Holy Land. And the Almighty actually shows Mesha the land from the mountaintop. He shows him the entire Holy Land. He shows him generations to come. What will happen in the Holy Land? And we all know that when Mesha Rabbeinu saw this generation, he asked the Almighty to stop. He's not coming, Almighty. He asked the Almighty, he said, that's enough, I think. I've seen enough. We've spoke many times of Eschanan being a gematria, which is a significant gematria as well, when it comes to the coming of Mashiach. The Zaya tells us, the world will exist approximately 6,000 years without Mashiach, and after that, Mashiach has to come. Kishis al-Fishnin, around 6,000. What is 6,000? Is it 6,001? Is it 5,999? Tells us the Chazal, Vaeschanan teaches us when this is exact. Chabadina? Come a second. Eschanan tells us the exact. Vaeschanan is Gematria 515. There were 515 beseechments. There was fish in there, I think. I put that in the freezer. What else is in there? What is that? 500 beseechments, 500 prayers that Meshach Rabbeinu supplements that Meshach prays. Yeah? Milk brownies? Hold yourself? Should we put in the freezer? Downstairs. Because leave ready for Shabbos and have a free kiddush. 515 tefillahs. Meshe Rabbeinu is davening at this point. The tefillah is taking place on the year, in the year, 2488. The Eden left Mitzrayim in 2448. This is now 40 years later. But I'm 2,488. Moshe says, 515, there will be 515 Shemitahs in the world. Shemitah is a period of seven years. 515 Shemitahs for the world to be able to exist. So if you do the math, 515 times 7, plus 2488 is 6093. So when it says, Kishis al-Fishnin, around 6000, the number is actually 6093. And this we learn from Vaishanan. 
But the Almighty tells him, as he's davening by his hand on the 515 prayers, Ravloch, enough. Now, every year by Eschanan, we go into the Ravloch issue, actually. We said, I think, we found over 70 plus Pirushim on the words Ravloch. Let us take Rashi himself, as Rashi is, and the Pashtun Pshad of the Pasuk is, Veschanan el Hashem says Rashi, Ein Chanun bekal Mokayim. Chanun, the word Chanun is never mentioned except for one purpose and one purpose only. And that purpose, Rashi now is going to explain and going to elaborate. Rashi says, The word Chanun refers to a matnas chinom, a gift, a free gift. Afapi, even though, says Rashi, Shiyesh Lutzalahem Lutzadikim. That these righteous people have listless bimaseyem atevim. They can rely on their good deeds. Still in all, says Rashi, ein mevakshim eis hamokim elamatnaschinim. Still in all, they only ask the Almighty for a matnaschinim, for a free gift. They're not asking to use up their credits by the Almighty. Dover acher. Rashi, however, now turns to a tactic that he very rarely uses, and he gives a second explanation. Dovracher, another explanation. The echod measora l'shoinei shel tefilo. The word chanun is one of the ten expressions that in, that refer to tefilo, prayer. From the words of Rashi, we have now two tracts to explain the request of Moshe Rabbeinu. According to the first explanation of Rashi, Chanun is from Loshan Matnas Chinam, a free gift. The request of Moshe was to fulfill that the Almighty should fulfill his request for naught, for nothing. Uh, even exchange? No. An exchange for free. I deserve it, says Misha. Because according to the Teda, I'm sorry, not because he deserves it, but just for nothing. I'm asking you should give me According to the second explanation, though, this is one of the ten expressions of tefillah of prayer. It, we understand that Moshe is not requesting for a matnas chinam. Because according to the Torah, when one requests something from the Almighty, they need to have something backing it. You need to substantiate that. You can't come with a request and say I'm not doing anything or I never did anything don't ask me for anything in return it's interesting to note we say about that as well always when one goes to Daven in the oil woman Davens every day therefore the custom is to say before Davening every morning Hareini Mekabal Alai Mitzvah Kamecha I accept upon myself the mitzvah, the positive commandment of love your fellow Jew as yourself. Why do we say that before we start to daven? For that reason itself. Because we are accepting, we are telling God, I'm doing something for my prayer. 
I'm not just coming to supplement, to pray to you, pray to you, to request and beseech from you, but I'm putting my best foot forward. I'm accepting the mitzvah of Avos Yisrael. And therefore, according to Taylor, it makes sense, as the Taylor states in the Pasuk, in the end of Ayikra, in Leviticus, in Bukhukei Saiteleichu, if you will go in the right path and you will do the right things the right way, says the Teda, then I will give rain in the proper time. In the, based on that, it doesn't make sense that Mesha was asking for a matnas chinam. Mesha knew quite well that in is a stipulation to asking for anything from God. So therefore he was asking because it was befitting to get it. What is the answer on Moshe's request? Teirah tells us HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to him Rav Loch Enough! Do not continue on this at all. This topic, this topic is mute. It's dead. We cannot discuss it. This is chapter 3, verse 26. And Rashi comes to explain the words Ravloch. And says again, two pirushim, two explanations. First of all, Ravloch, says Rashi. Why is the Almighty, the Almighty telling him to stop? Nobody should say, Harav How difficult is the master when the student is requesting such a simple thing and the, um, the master is refusing, is in denial of this, is denying it of him. And since I'm not letting you into it itself, the decree is final, stop your beseechments. Because you're only going to cause, you're going to make me a bad reputation. Rav, much is there is much to you. There is much put away for you, guarded for you. Rav much greatness, much goodness is being hidden for you. How wonderful, how wondersome is Rashi. How deep is Rashi. Rashi, as we said, is not usually deep. Rashi usually is just telling us, Pshute Shal Mikra. This simple explanation of the Pasuk. But here Rashi took the word, Va'eschanan, and gave two explanations, matnas chinam, or because you deserve it. And Rashi took the answer to the Eschanan, Ravloch, and again dissects it into two explanations. Because one, how much people are going to talk about how the master is so mad, so be- mean. Why can't you see me? How the master is so mean and the student is so humbled. I don't know. That's one explanation, says Rashi. And the other, as we said, is I have much for you. There's much good going for you. You're going to get so much. Don't ask for any more. Don't push it. Rashi, therefore, is... is synchronizing the 
explanation of Eschanan and the explanation of Ravloch. According to the explanation that Moshe is asking for Matnas Chinam, Moshe is asking for a matnas chinam, for a free gift, says the tailor, says Rashi, to that the Almighty responds and says, whoops, that you're going to cause problems here. You're causing problems in saying, in continuing your tefillahs, and therefore I'm telling you, stop, so people should not say the Rav and the Talmud. Because since Mesha is asking for a matlas chinam, therefore there's no boundary to how many times he should ask. He's asking for a free gift, it doesn't matter, you don't have limitations to that. And therefore, he says Ravloch, in response to the matnas chinam that you're asking. No, you're not getting the matnas chinam, and therefore, I'm telling you, Ravloch, that you're going to cause problems with this. But according to the explanation that says that Moshe was asking for something that he actually earned, says the Ebishter Ravloch, you have it all coming to you, but not by entering into Eretz Yisrael. It will all be in Elam Haba, not in Eretz Yisrael. Parsh continues. Ato horesoladas kiavayu elikim einid muvade. Pasuk that is said always on Simchas Teira. Pasuk that is said every Shabbos actually. And Rashi says horesa. What does horesa mean? Kitargume. Like the Targum says, aschazisa. You have seen. You've been shown. And Rashi continues to explain how were you shown. When the Almighty gave the Torah, He opened before the Jews, Shiva Rakim, the seven heavens. In the same way He did the top heavens, He did the lower heavens as well. So explains Rashi. They wrote, and they saw at this point the Jews saw Shu Yechidi is the only one. Now the Pasuk prior to this says that the miracles that you were shown in Egypt before your very eyes. Welcome back, Jack. And the continuation to be Mitzrayim Le'inecha, says Rashi. Says the Pasuk, I'm sorry. We're in chapter 4, verse 35. At The Sipurna explains, At The intention was to tell you that you have been shown the miracles in Egypt. And all this was shown to you by God Himself. For what? That you should know, and you should understand, without any doubt, that God is your God. How does Rashi know that the Pshutta Shamikra means that this refers to the time of Latin Torah, when the Jews received the Torah? And they were shown Shehu Yechidi, he is the only one. When the Saparno has a beautiful explanation, referencing to the re- leaving of Egypt. Rashi looks at the whole Pasuk, he takes the whole Pasuk and says, There's no other one. 
There is no other power or source in the world except for the Almighty. In that case, even the miracles that the Almighty did in Egypt, and He showed them the great strength, He did not only look on His own, that maybe He could be, but these did not show. Egypt, the miracles of Egypt were not living proof that ain't Eid Movadi, that there's no one but the Almighty. If therefore it's possible, Chasholm, the person should think, there was another source. Anybody else up there can help me. Although, of course, there's nothing like the Abishta, there's no power. Therefore, Rashi wants to tell us that it cannot go on the Yitzhiyas, the miracles of the Egypt, of leaving Egypt, but rather it talks about, it references Matan Teda. As we talk about in this parsha, Matan Teda. At the time of Matan Teda, the Almighty opened all the heavens to show the Huyachidi. And there is nothing and no other power in the, in, in the universe that exists aside for the Abishta himself. And this, therefore, coincides with the end of the Pasuk, Ein Eid Milvadi. There's no one but him. We said that this week's Pasha has the Shema Yisrael. We've spoken many times about the Pasuk of Shema Yisrael, the power, the potency of Shema Yisrael. The words on the lips of many, many people that died are Kiddush Hashem, Rahman al-Tzan, sacrificing their own lives for the name of God, and died with the, with the words of Shema Yisrael on their lips. Shema Yisrael, we said, there's different opinions, of course. One opinion says Shema Yisrael was said by the children of Jacob. Yaakov is referred to as Yisrael as well. And as Yaakov was laying on his deathbed, he was very concerned that his children should follow in his ways. W-A-Y-S, not W-A-Z-E. Yeah, you follow those ways, they also get you places sometimes, but that's not what Yaakov had in mind. So Yaakov was hinting to his children, he didn't want to be very subtle about it. He didn't want to be too blatant, telling them, I have no faith in you. So therefore, Yaakov is telling them how the ways of our fathers and forefathers need to be kept and followed. So as the Medish, they answered him, Shema Yisrael, listen now, Father Israel, Hashem, the God you're referring to, Elikeinu is our God. And Hashem, that God, Echad, is the only God that we have. Another message tells us, that actually, it was said by Matan Teda, when the Jews received the Teda, the voice they heard from the mountain said, Shema Yisrael, hear, O Israel, Anoichi Hashem Aleichecha, I am God, your God. To which the Jews responded, Hashem Aleichenu, God is our God. And then the next of that said, there was like, you should not have any other deities, to which the Jews answer, Hashem Echod, God is one. So how do we reach that level? How do we achieve the level of being able to concentrate on those holy words of Shema Yisrael and to be able to bring into fruition 
all the different kavanas that go on with Botsuk of Shema Yisrael. The story of a chassid, a simple, simple chassid, a farmer. A simple farmer at that. He was the envy of the Bismedish. Why was he the envy of the Bismedish? Because when he came to the Pasuk Shema Yisrael, before he could even start, as he started to raise his hand to his eyes, he began to tremble. So severely did he tremble that he fell from his chair unconscious. And only then, when he was brought back to consciousness, was he able to say the Pasuk Shema Yisrael. And this happened every day. And the Chassidim noticed, this is not a put-on. This is not a facade. This is not a joke. He's sincere. He's real. And the Chassidim wanted to reach that level. They wanted to become like that. So they went to him and they asked him, Moshka, what's your secret? How do you get such a level of fear before the Pesach of Shema Yisrael? Moshka said, I asked the Rav. I asked the Rav? Yeah. I went over to the Rav. I said, Rav, listen, I can't, I, I can't get all the words, translation to all the words of davening, etc., I want to say Shema Yisrael properly. So the Rav started to explain to me that the Almighty created the world, He constantly creates the world in the union of the Shamas And I'm writing down as He's telling me this. And the next time I sat down to say Shema, I took that paper out and I read it through. Nah, it did nothing for me. I... I couldn't take the disappointment. I couldn't take the letdown. I went back to the Rav. And I asked again, please, Rebbe, tell me. Pray, tell me, how do I say Shema with proper fear of God? And the Rav looked at me and he asked me a question. He says, Moshka, were you ever frightened in your life? And I said, Rebbe, interestingly, yes, I was. I hope I'm not going to pay by the hour for this uh, therapy session. But I will tell you, Rebbe, one time I walked into one of my barns, and one of my turkeys, who looked like he came from Chernobyl, he was a big turkey. He went cuckoo, he went AWOL. Went Michigan. And he started to shake his wings and flap his wings and to yell and to scream and his beak and his eyes were staring at me so... I got so scared I fainted. Uh, yeah? Says the Rav to, to Moshka. Henceforth, before you say Shema Yisrael, I want you to visualize the turkey. Visualize the turkey and let the gripping fear take you through and through and with that fear you will say Shema. And therefore he says, before I say Shema, I see see that turkey. I see his beak getting ready to puncture my head. I see his eyes bulging. I see his wings flapping. And I get petrified. And then I take that fear and I transform it to a godly issue. It's a fear of God. And then I say the Shema. A simple, simple approach, yet so beautiful and so rich. Pasuk tells us 
In this week's parsha, we're referring to the Ten Commandments. It was a loud sound, but it had no end to it. There's nothing to add to it. In Medrash Shmei Sirabah it says, what happened here was this koil echad, this one sound, this one blast, Nechlak was divided up the Zion Kailish to seven different blasts. Vehaim and those seven Nechlokim the Ayin Loshin were divided up into seventy languages. Now we spoke last week about the Shivan Loshin, about Hoyil Mesha Beasateda, how he explained the Teda in seventy languages. But here we want to tell you how this affects our daily life. If you're keeping score at home, the Gemara and Psachim, Pei Zayin Amad Beis, 87 side 2. Amr, the Gemara tells us, The Almighty did not send us into exile, only to add on converts. Wow. Wow. Gaden, really? We all know that when a, ger, a convert wants to convert, we try to dissuade them, we try to talk them out of it. Only after they are insistent and they fight tooth and nail, do we accept them. But up until they accept, till that point, we constantly try to dissuade it. I had actually, I think it was last summer. <laughs> I don't know if it was last summer or two summers ago. But that doesn't matter in my lifetime. A fellow called me up and he said that he has a worker, a co-worker, a African-American woman who knows and hears so much about Yiddishkeit and she wants to convert. So I said, I don't do conversions, but I gladly talk to her and set her straight. And she came over and we spoke probably for about two hours. I haven't heard from her since. I don't know whether or not she went ahead or she didn't go ahead or she kept status quo. I'm not sure. I have no idea. But the the gist of it was not, yes, please join us, please, what can we do? How can I facilitate your, your request? So this Gemara is a little bit awkward here to tell us that we're only put into exile to add converts. In Torah Er, the Al-Tarebbe explains the word Gedim refers to the sparks of Kedusha, the sparks of holiness that need to be elevated. Where are they found? They're found in exile amongst the nations. And therefore our mission, the Jewish nation's mission, is to elevate these sparks. So too when a Jew sits down and involves himself in the study of Torah, whether it be in English or any of the other 70 languages of Umay Sa'idam, or when he uses this, I'm sorry, a, one of the 70 languages for business, for regular worldly manners, the person should see to it that they interject godliness, or even more so. If we use these languages for study of Teda, then they are elevating the sparks that are found amongst the Shivim Loshim the 70 different languages. We could think perhaps the Teda is taught in Shivin Lashen and there's no level of Kedusha the Teda that was given in Matan Teda in Lashen HaKedush. But this is what he's trying to tell us with Koyal Godel. 
that this one curl was divided into seven and divided into seventy. The curl godel of Matantera, this itself was divided into seventy languages. So we find therefore the Pnimius Hatera, the, the essence of Tera, is learned already in seventy languages. And therefore the Kel Godel of Anoichi Hashem was something that the world at large heard and was given a message about. Let us turn our focus a moment to Chamishas above, the 15th day of Av. There was no Yamtif in the world like Hamishasabiyav and Tishabav. And if you can see them on Shabbos, we have to mention this past Shabbos, my son Morty was blessed. His wife gave birth to twin girls. My daughter-in-law ever so kindly is sending me pictures of her daughter holding her proud, proudly holding her sisters. One at a time. <laughs> um, pure love. Baruch Hashem. Pure love. Ha! So as we're talking about this, someone sends a WhatsApp. One woman asks the other woman, the woman's walking with four children, and she says to her, how do you divide your love among four children? And the other mother says, I don't divide, I multiply. Very powerful. Very powerful. Let us turn back our focus to the Gemara, those keeping score at home, is the Gemara Tainis, Chavov Amid Beis Mishnah. And Gamliel says that Yom Tev Nisal Kamishasu Ba'av Yem Akipurim No greater Yom Tev than Kamishasu Ba'av and Yom Kippur. Sararifka and Meira Tivya. Sararifka, of course, after my mother. The Yamada goes on to list the reasons for Hamisha Sabah and the greatness of Hamisha Sabah. And interestingly enough, ironically, Hamisha Sabah has nothing to do. There's no way of celebrating Hamisha Sabah, except that we don't say Tachman. Big deal, it's a Friday. So we only get away with Shachras. And even that's only a small Tachman. But we don't say Tachman, we don't say Tachman already Thursday, Minchan. There's no actual customs for Chemisha Sabav. And yet there's no greater Yomtev than Chemisha Sabav. What's going on? What happened here? The Gemara refers to Chemisha Sabav, Yem Tavar Magal. Yem Tavar Magal means the day the axe was broken. Have you ever heard the expression grinding an axe? Okay, we'll discuss now the grinding of an axe. But before we get to the grinding of the axe, let's discuss different things that happened on Hamisha Sabaov that make this such a special and holy day. After the sin of the spies, Miraglim, the decree was put on the nation that anyone between 20 and 60 will die. We'll not go into that to show. So now, one may think, that in the course of those 40 years, people were dying like flies here and there, you know, another one, another one. Taylor doesn't do that. Because that would not be obvious, it would not be, show the greatness of God if people were just dying randomly. So what would happen? The saddest day of the year, which was Tishabov, all the Jews between 20 and 60 would gather in a big ditch. And they would sleep in that ditch overnight. 
what it says? They slept in that ditch overnight. It came in the morning. If you were destined to live, you came out of the ditch. If you weren't, you didn't come out. And over the course of the 40 years, we noticed, that's how they noticed the people that had to die in the desert. And it was a blatant thing for everyone to see. On the 40th year, the men went into the, into the ditch on Tisha B'Av like usual. And everybody came out on the, ninth, on the 10th day. So they said, whoa, 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 maybe there was something wrong. Nobody died, it's not possible. Maybe we miscalculated the date. So they went back in on the 10th. And so on the 11th and the 12th and the 13th and the 14th. On the 15th day, for those of you that howl at the moon on every month, once a month, on the 15th day of the Hebrew month, the moon is full. There's no mistaking that today is the 15th day of the month. And therefore, now that they knew it was no longer Tisha B'Av for sure, but rather the 15th day of the month, they now realize, they came to the realization that the Jews have stopped dying. That the decree is now over. So this is the first thing in the year of 2487 already that the Jews found out on Tubav that the decree was nullified and the people ceased to die. First reason to celebrate. Another reason. When the Jews were entering the Holy Land, they were each given a portion of the Holy Land, where they're going to settle. Where they're going to settle. Hello. Yes. Elon said. Okay, that was a terrible thing to do. Someone asking for my wife, I just said she's not here, she's not going to be back for five weeks, I didn't tell her that part. Anyway, she went to Israel. See her mother, long life. Anyway, the bottom line, the Jews were given their inheritance in the Holy Land. And the inheritance was divided up here and there. Each family was given their portion. Each shaven, each tribe was given their portion. Now we didn't want to have problems if a marriage was done between one tribe and another. Intermarrying between the, between the tribes and then all the portions would get all confused. Ultimately, when everything was settled and the land was settled, it was on Chemisha Sabah, on the 15th day of Av, that the decree was lifted and the Shvatim were able to intermarry amongst, amongst each other. During the time of Asnil ben Kenaz, the Navi tells us in Shaftim, the book Judges, chapters 19, 20, and 21. The horrific story of Pelegish Begiva, the concubine at Giva. And this took place in the tribe of Benjamin, of Benjamin. At that point, there was a decree that they should all be killed out and the whole tribe should be eradicated, Rahman al Islam. However, on the 15th day of Av, when they saw the situation was getting dire, the decree was lifted, and people were allowed to remarry marry into the families of Shevet bin Yamin, and therefore the Shevet being brought back to life. Another reason to celebrate Chamisha Sabaav. In the days after Shleim HaMelech passed away, 
in the year 2964, a famous name came about, which unfortunately was not, he was an infamous at the time already, which was Yeravim ben Nevat. Yeravim ben Nevat was a ruler of the breakaway northern kingdom of Israel. And he set up roadblocks to prevent his citizens from being Eilerregel three times a year to Yerushalayim, which is the southern, the holy temple. This was removed after 200 years, more than 200 years. These borders, these boundaries were removed by Asher ben Ella, who was the last king of the northern kingdom. And this took place, of course, on Tuba of the year 3187. Another reason yet to celebrate. The city of Betar put up a very, very strong fight led by Bar Kokhba. They put up a very strong rebellion in the year 3893. Bar and the entire town, basically, of Betar was massacred by the Romans on Tishabov. And they wanted to add insult to injury. The Romans in Makshimon wanted to pour salt on the wounds and they would not allow the people of Betar to be buried. This is the year was 3893. This finally was done on Tuba of, of 3908 that the Jews were finally allowed to be buried in Betar and the part of Brachas of Birchas Hamazin Brachas Ateva Metiv was then added to Birchas Hamazin into our grace after meals in thanks for the day that they were saved. Tavar Magal, before I get into trouble, I better go back to Tavar Magal, the grinding, the breaking of the axe. When the Holy Temple stood in Yerushalayim, there were many different things that needed to make things work, to make things happen in the Beis Hamikdash. They needed to have a Mizbeach, and the Mizbeach needed to have fire, and the fire needed to be fueled by by wood. And this wood was chopped, obviously. From Kufas Kayets, when the summer started, they would chop and prepare the wood for the year, for the Beis HaMikdash. On Hamisha Osebeov, they stopped chopping. They no longer chopped wood for the base of English. Why? Because the sun was no longer Bechol HaTekif. The sun was no longer strong enough to keep the wood dry properly. And since if the wood would not be dry properly, worms could get into it, and worms would render this wood unfit for use. This event, of that they finished, they concluded the chopping of the wood on the 15th, was celebrated with feasting and rejoicing. And also included the ceremonial breaking of the axes, which therefore was given the name Yem Taver Magal. So really we need to understand what is Shimon getting at. Yes, these are great things. Wonderful, wonderful things. But how could Shimon say What makes this so, so superior so much greater than any of the other?
Let's just take the one point that we are talking about, the breaking of the axe, Tavamagal. The manner in which they concluded the woodcutting in the temple took Tubav to another significance. When one breaks an axe, they're expressing something else here. They're not grinding their axe. The axes were used for, for the holy temple. And we mourn the destruction of the temple on Tishabov. And we await the harmonious world of Mashiach to rebuild it. But you're going to need to build, next, even if the next year the Mashiach comes, and builds the base of English, you're going to need wood anyway. Why break the axes? Store them. The altar which the wood was used for is exact opposite what the axe stands for. When we make the altar, God instructed you should build the stone altar for me. Then I build it of cut stone, because if a sword or any metal touches it, I do. It's not fit. You profaned it. And therefore, we see that metal, which represents death, steel, iron, which represents swords or knives, etc., represents the concept of death, this did not go onto this, onto the altar, onto the Mizbeach. But yet, there was this axe, this axe that, that broke, that chopped the wood. There's a more supernal significance to this. The chopping of the wood represents physical labor. The nights become longer. They start getting longer. Nighttime is a time for study of Terah. And now that the nights get longer, we have more time to study Terah. Since we have more time to study Terah, we put away the mundane acts and we throw ourselves into the concept of Taylor. But we don't just put away the axe. We destroy. We take away that whole thing. That whole essence known as an axe is no longer in our lifestyle because now, henceforth, we are devoting our life to, to the study of Taylor. And this will go on in the winter months until the summer begins again where we once again need to chop wood for the Mizbeach in the Holy Temple. So may this yomtev of Hamishas above. Sorry, I left out one very important point of Avos Yisrael. When the people of Giva were allowed to marry, Binyamin was allowed to marry. What happened was, and this became a custom of Tubav. Bacher bacher sai necha. The girls that were unmarried would put on white dresses, and they would dance in the fields. And they would tell the Bakrim that are not married, the single boys, look at us, raise up your eyes to look, and choose yourself a bride. So therefore, it's a very significant day for tefillah, for children to be married. May we be zeichetake, that this very tuba of shidduchim should come through in unprecedented numbers for everyone that needs a shidduch, whether they know it or they don't know it, but they need a shidduch. And the shidduchim should come into fruition. And this shidduchim should be Eid Yishamah Vare Yehuda of a Yerushalayim. And we should come to the ultimate chuppah, the chuppah of Klal Yisrael with Avinu Shabbat Shamayim, as we stood, Matan Shabbat Shalom to all.